0: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults.
1: From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between.
0: I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. Today we're going to talk about prevention of cardiovascular disease. Lindsay, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what cardiovascular disease is exactly?
1: Sure. So we're talking about uh, prevention of basically heart attacks, strokes, and what we call peripheral arterial disease. So that is um, blockage of the main arteries in the body from those that go to the brain, to the heart, and then to the legs um, from what's called atherosclerosis. That's a big word. So let's break <laughs> that down a little bit. Right. Right. Uh, Atherosclerosis is when we form plaques in our arteries, which can become um, inflamed. So the plaques are made of, of cholesterol and calcium deposits. And it, they cause a problem when they become inflamed and can break through or cause blockage across. So if they break through, they can travel farther in the, the artery to, to a narrower spot and cause a blockage, which would, if it's towards the vessels to the brain, cause a stroke or a TIA, a mini stroke, or those to the heart would cause a heart attack, or you could get um, ischemia or lack of oxygen and blood supply to the legs.
0: This is a common problem in the U.S. and worldwide as well, definitely a a common source of mortality and morbidity, and most adults, it's a topic that you've at least heard about, if not had firsthand experience with. So our goal today is to really talk about how we can prevent this. Correct. All right, and I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of an analogy that we can use when we're talking about prevention. So. Imagine that you're in your bathroom and the faucet's running and it's overflowing, the drain isn't working, spilling onto the floor. So this is the leaky faucet analogy. We have a few options for fixing this problem, right? Number one is we can mop up the floor, but we haven't turned off the faucet yet. And so the faucet is still running and still overflowing. So you have to keep mopping up the floor. The other option is to turn off the faucet and fix the faucet. And so when we talk about prevention of cardiovascular diseases, there are a few different areas where we can um, kind of make an approach in terms of preventing the problem. Doing things like medications would be analogous to mopping the floor. And we'll talk about that first. So we're not actually fixing the underlying root of the problem. We're just putting a band-aid on it. And it does it does, it's, it can be very effective, but it's right. still not necessarily getting at the heart of the problem. The other way to target this is to turn off the faucet, and that would be um, major lifestyle modifications, including diet and physical activity and things like that.
1: Right, I think we'll we'll start first with aspirin and its uh, ability to help mop the floor.
0: Absolutely. So aspirin, cholesterol medications, have both been in the news a fair amount recently because of some research that's come out. And so we'll get into that a little bit and try to bring it down to a... Um, bite-sized level.
1: I guess first we need to talk about, because uh, we're going to talk about terms primary prevention and secondary prevention. So what can you tell us about primary prevention? Right. So
0: when we talk about primary prevention, we're focusing on preventing the first heart attack or stroke or episode of peripheral artery disease. We're trying to prevent it in somebody who doesn't have any of those things already. So... No no illness yet,
1: but potentially some risk factors for these illnesses. And so there's been several large studies recently that have come out that have changed our um, idea of aspirin and how we should use it in primary prevention. Everybody's been told to be on an aspirin forever. Yes. Um, because of, of old studies that we thought told us that they decreased the risk for heart and prevented heart attack and stroke. And that's true um, to a degree, but new studies bring light, I guess, to what's the benefit versus risk of this. Absolutely. So what what is the
0: risk of aspirin when we're talking about possible side effects?
1: I think the biggest is bleeding risk. So um, that can be from bleeding in the brain to the, probably the majority GI bleed. So bleeds from the gastrointestinal tract where you have an ulcer bleeding or a polyp. Those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. So the latest studies show that for primary prevention in pretty much the entire adult population, the risks outweigh the benefits, correct? Correct. So there may be
0: some slight reduction in cardiovascular risk by taking aspirin, but the, all of the most recent studies suggest that the, the risk of bleeding Outweighs, outweighs the, benefit. the benefit. So what about the population who doesn't have diabetes, and we're talking again about primary prevention, so no history of heart attack or stroke, but they have other risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol,
1: maybe a family history. Where where do we go with that population? I think that this one's kind of a one of those tough questions and is probably one that deserves a conversation with your physician. But I think, as we'll discuss later, you really got to focus on the lifestyle changes because that's where the money is. Absolutely. So the more recent studies
0: just aren't showing a benefit that outweighs the risk of using aspirin. aspirin. But again, this this would be an individual conversation with your physician as well. So let's talk about patients with diabetes who haven't yet had a cardiovascular event, so no history of heart attack or stroke. What's the benefit of aspirin for those
1: patients? I think in review of these recent studies and listening to expert opinion, that even though an aspirin decreases risk for heart attack or stroke in these patients, the risk for a GI bleed, so a gastrointestinal bleed, is much higher than the benefit they receive from the aspirin. So there is possible benefit in
0: reducing the risk of heart attack and stroke, but that benefit doesn't outweigh the risk or the odds of bleeding are actually higher than any potential benefit received. Does
1: that mean we should be telling our patients with diabetes not to take aspirin? Probably so, but this is is new for us, and so... Um... Yeah, trying to get the information out there. And, and I've just started doing that with my patients coming in who've all been on that aspirin for a long time. So it's a discussion that we're I'm having with each patient on an individual basis and, and seeing what we're both comfortable with. That's a really
0: good point, though, that everybody, we're, we're giving generalized information here so that you can have some understanding of the research that's available, but you need to take that information to your own doctor to get information for you as an individual. Another group I wanted to talk about was the population of patients who smoke, and again, who have not yet had a heart attack or stroke. So we're talking primary prevention in our patients
1: who smoke. And I think smoking is a huge risk factor um, for cardiovascular disease and events. And the first and most important thing would be to quit smoking. Um, But if that is not a possibility, what do you think you'd advise your patients to do? I don't think the
0: research is still completely clear on that population. I think these studies were not addressing the smoking population um, specifically. So I think that at this point, again, it would be a discussion of risks and benefits And we know that the bleeding risk is certainly present, but the risk of smoking is also quite high. Right. And maybe in that population, um, making sure that they're on a statin ahead of aspirin would be the most beneficial thing to do. Because in these studies that came out, more so than aspirin treatment is that people should really be on a statin to prevent
1: cardiovascular disease. Right. Should we move on to statins? I think so. All right, so statins are the the medications that are most commonly used to reduce cholesterol levels, and they have been shown to reduce heart attack and stroke.
0: Right, so not only are they lowering cholesterol levels, which is great from my perspective, but ultimately I don't really care what somebody's cholesterol level is. I, I don't want them to have a heart attack or a stroke, and that's right. what I'm trying to prevent.
1: It's all about outcomes, yeah. so does it affect the outcome, and so we can make... There's lots of different medicines that can make the cholesterol look good, but not all of them do what the statins do for heart attack and stroke risk. Right. So who should be on statins when
0: we're talking about primary prevention?
1: This is a, this one's another great one, but I think we have um, a great question and one that can be debated lots of different ways. But I think uh, latest data gives us important information on Um, kind of the older adult population, um, because so many people are put on this um, in their midlife years, so probably 50s to 60s. Um, Is this something that benefits us in our 80s, 90s? And we have some new studies that shed a little bit of light on that. And basically what they said was that um, 75 and older It still decreases cholesterol nicely, so the cholesterol looks much better, but the outcomes were not there as much. And often there's lots of side effects, where I think the side effects are more quality-of-life limiting side effects from what I see in my
0: practice. So statins definitely have proven benefit in terms of lowering the risk of heart attack and stroke. Focusing on over 75, you really start to lose any long-term or lasting benefit from primary prevention statin therapy?
1: I think the idea or the underlying reason is probably because when you take a statin today, it's doing something that affects your body maybe 10 years, 5 to 10 years down the road. There's maybe a component that has effect today that is an anti-inflammatory component, but the main bulk of what it's doing is probably preventing something 5 to 10 years down the road. Right. So when you're already 75
0: or 80 and we're looking at 5 to 10 years down the road or even 20 years down the road, there's really not going to be a lot of added value to being on a statin. And that applies even to patients with diabetes. So again, diabetes is a cardiovascular equivalent. We can kind of think of it like somebody already has had that first heart attack. Um, And so in that younger population that we'll talk about in a moment, Statins are definitely indicated in diabetes. In the older population, any benefit really disappears after age 90, and it's starting to really significantly decrease in the 85 or 80 plus.
1: This is an age group that we're dealing with a lot of polypharmacy, which means lots of medications taken on a daily basis, which is risky for many reasons, and that's, that's another talk that we'll have someday. But um, So it's important to, to ask your doctor if these medications are still giving you the benefit that they did when you were in your 60s. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. You know, there like you mentioned already,
0: there's a potential for increasing risk of side effects, interactions with other medications. And if there's something that's not adding a lot of value to your health, then it's nice to go ahead and get rid of
1: it. Right. So how about that population from 50 to 75? Right. So we have... A couple of ways that we stratify risk or risk calculators that have been used and recommended by by all the governing, um, you know, the American College of Physicians and uh, cardiology um, groups that say this is how you should manage the, pr- you know, primary prevention and risk. And I think the main one we use right now is the ASCVD risk calculator. Right. So what is what does that stand for and what is it? <laughs>
0: ASCVD is the atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease. Um, and the risk calculator is a kind of an equation that we use that gives you an estimated risk over the next 10 years of having a heart attack or a stroke or one of
1: these cardiovascular events. And it's weighing your age, your cholesterol levels, so your total cholesterol and your HDL. Um, your race, your sex, so whether you're male, female, your blood pressure, whether you're on blood pressure medicines, uh, whether you have diabetes, and whether you are a smoker, and whether or not you are on a statin or aspen therapy. So it calculates all those things to come up with a risk score. And, and our recommendations are once your risk is greater than 7.5% for 10 years, Um, that you initiate a statin therapy. Right,
0: so that's been the recommendation for the last few years. And for most of my patients who don't have diabetes, and we're talking, again, primary prevention, if that number is 7.5 or higher, then we have a serious conversation about whether or not they should be on a statin. The more recent studies are showing that actually that
1: that risk threshold maybe needs to be changed a little bit. We were probably over-treating, I would say, in a sense. And I think it was... Probably the one controversy is over the age because once you reach a certain age, pretty much everybody would require, would have that risk and require a statin.
0: Right. Eventually, for males around that 57, 58 year old mark, all males, based on this calculator, would need a statin, and all females about the age of 65 would also need a statin. And so, the more recent research is indicating that. We are probably over-treating patients with statin therapy because the the amount of benefit we're getting in that population, especially if the risk is in that 7.5 to 10 or a little over 10 range, we're just talking small percentage points of benefit for those people. And so then you need to think seriously about whether or not the benefit is enough to make up for any potential side
1: effects. Right. And I think we also have to go back to the leaky faucet and think about other things we can do that are actually been shown to be way more beneficial absolutely
0: so speaking of statin side effects people hear about side effects from statin medications all the time and this is partly because we use them a lot and there's a lot of good research on them so the good news is your doctor knows what those side effects are and what to look out for because we we use these medications frequently because they're very effective so what should we be looking for? And maybe what are some of the things that statins get blamed for that
1: probably aren't related to statins? Right. I think a lot of medications, and statins are one of the main ones, get bad rap in the media or amongst conversations with friends and family. Um, and so I always tell my patients, "You, what the media portrays is not the whole story, and it's your job as a physician to know the whole story and try to to educate your patients about that. Um, And so, yes, side effects. Certainly people um, often complain of achy, being more achy, aches and pains. The one that is concerning is if you have muscle pain and weakness. What is that a sign of or what do we need to look out for then? The statin-induced myopathy or muscle breakdown, Mm -hmm. which is fairly rare but can happen. And so it's muscle pain and weakness that starts and it can start any time, even if you've been on a statin for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the the main one that we need to hear about, so that we can stop your statin medication.
0: Right. And what about the other, just kind of milder aches or muscle
1: cramping or things like that? It's hard to blame it just on the statin because those are general general complaints that a large patient population has as we get older, right? And sometimes if my patients feel
0: like it's bad enough, we'll try stopping the statin for several weeks or even a month or two to see if
1: they get any benefit.
0: If not,
1: then you can restart it or start a different statin. Or start a different one because there are statins that have that work with your body differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if, if you didn't tolerate one, you may tolerate another without those side effects.
0: Right, and actually there's even good research saying that if you had had aching, nothing severe, but if you had aching or cramping with one statin, if you stop it and the symptoms get better, it is okay at some point to try that statin. Again, the, the risk of harm is actually quite low, right.
1: and it's just a matter of whether or not you can tolerate
0: that statin.
1: Oh, I do want to point out, because lots of people talk about... Um, dementias or and statins causing dementia. And this is absolutely not true. Um, they actually prevent dementia and Alzheimer's disease, right? So if you're controlling your cholesterol levels at a younger age, you're much less likely to have dementia or Alzheimer's disease when you're older. And why is that? Because cholesterol, high cholesterol, cardiovascular disease is a risk factor for many dementias. Right. So vascular dementia is a type
0: of dementia where people have mini strokes and small blockages over time. They probably don't really notice that it's happening, but eventually it, the effect is cumulative and they end up with um, dementia.
1: Right. So I think that's an important thing to know. Statins do not cause dementia that's a really
0: good point yeah statins um, again they can have side effects but in general they're actually very well tolerated and we do use them a lot because they have very they have proven benefit so significant you, yeah yes. so if you have concerns talk with your doctor but just know that overall they are considered to be a relatively safe and definitely effective medication so should we talk about supplements a little bit sure so now we've kind of talked about the two main things that we do to mop up the floor in prevention of cardiovascular disease, right? That's, we're not turning off the faucet, we're just cleaning up because of the problem of, you know, um, fast food or diet or lack of exercise or those kinds of things. And now we're going to turn to maybe things that could turn off the faucet. Supplements come up a lot in our practices. What, What do we know about supplements or what can we say there?
1: I think... There's been recent data, I think the main one we talk about is fish oils, omega-3 fatty acids, which are good for your cardiovascular system and risk reduction. I think the latest data or study sheds a little bit of light on it that it's probably in the dietary form because in the supplemental form, in taking a fish oil tablet, it did not reduce risk for heart attack or stroke.
0: So even if it maybe helps with cholesterol a little bit, we're not seeing those outcomes that we're really looking for, the lower risk of heart attack, lower risk of stroke. Um, And
1: you mentioned diet. So what are you you getting at there? That something's different uh, when you eat it as a whole food. So if you get the fish oil from actually eating the fish, that has a different outcome effect than if you take just the fish oil.
0: That's a good point.
1: So, and we'll we'll jump into
0: food in a minute here, but let's let's talk about a few other supplements that we get asked about frequently.
1: Yeah, I think we talk a lot about CoQ ten, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what what you recommend. I originally would give some CoQ ten when people were having those aches and pains because I think there's been some data, although plus or minus. Um, out there, that it does help alleviate the aches and pains associated a, with associated statin. with a statin. Yep. But coq ten in and of itself does nothing to decrease heart attack or stroke risk. Right,
0: right. And I think the harm from coq ten appears to be quite low. Right. So I will recommend it for my patients who are having those milder aches and cramping with statins, just to see if it lets them tolerate the medication a little bit better. Again, it's a low risk thing to do. Probably right. not beneficial in terms of outcomes but
1: if they can tolerate a statin then it's worthwhile right and then i think the other one we hear about is red rice yeast what are your thoughts on this one
0: you know i haven't reviewed the research in detail i think that there's potentially um more recent studies are indicating some benefit from it but um and again, this is another one where the harms are quite low. So, right. low risk of complications or interactions or liver or kidney damage from taking this.
1: Um, and maybe some benefit. Right. I think we do know that it probably does make your cholesterol numbers look better, but the debate is still out about whether it actually decreases heart attack or stroke risk. Right. And again, so that one's still up ultimately,
0: there. we want your risk of heart attack and stroke to go down. I don't i don't really care about your cholesterol numbers
1: right those are the big ones i think on supplements i think so So if you have
0: any others that you're thinking of send us an email we'll we'll address it next week right So now, let's get one. to the, the big ones. How can we actually turn off this faucet to prevent cardiovascular disease? Not just keep mopping the floor, but shut off the faucet, fix the faucet. What can we do there? And this is going to
1: sometimes require some pretty major changes. This is hard work. It's not easy, but it is proven over and over again that diet and exercise are the way to to decrease
0: your heart attack or stroke risk. So, let's let's dig into the diet a little bit. What do we know about diet? And maybe it's easy to easier to start with kind of what we shouldn't be doing because those are maybe more obvious and then we can talk a little bit about where the research is pointing in terms of what's really beneficial too.
1: Right. I think um, certainly processed foods, mm-hmm. red meats, processed meats, so sausages, bacon, um, lunch meats. These, we all know, contribute to causing those plaques in our arteries. Eh? Right. They, also, a lot more evidence that they're inflammatory. They're inflammatory-causing. Right. Somehow, during their processing,
0: they do contribute to inflammation, plaque buildup, and increased atherosclerotic disease. What about... Um, well, I would say let me add fast food to that right. category, too. So, again, we're getting processed meats, additives that you we don't know what is present in the food that you're eating, um,
1: things like that, I would say. What else? Those are definitely on the... I think yeah. the one big misnomer is that pork... Is the other white meat.
0: Yeah, so right, let's let's define red meat here for a minute. This is some of these are more apparent than others, right? Beef is red meat. Right. Pork, the other white meat, is Mm -hmm. actually red meat in terms of how it behaves in the body. Right. So what's what's not red meat? What should we be looking for?
1: Chicken, turkey, but again, not processed, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, my son had a nutritionist come talk yeah. to his, his Boy Scout troop. And um, I thought it was interesting because the nutritionist there said, the more legs an animal has, the worse it is for your health. So cows, pigs, right? So anything. Then you get to the two-legged animals, the chickens, the poultry. Um and then the fish with no legs. So I thought that was an interesting, easy way to to lay it out. That there. is interesting. I yeah. have not
0: heard that before. Yes. <laughs> and again, that's that's we're talking unprocessed right. meat here. So meat that you take home and you cook it up yourself, and then you can slice it or do whatever. But uh, meat that you're not buying it prepackaged with all sorts of preservatives and right. various additives. So that, again, we mentioned some of the bad foods, talking about some of the good meats. What other foods besides meat can we add to our diets that are going to be really beneficial in terms of lowering cardiovascular risk?
1: I think also before going back quick, how we prepare it, because if you're taking your chicken, but you're deep fat frying it, then you're taking out the The positive, the health benefits that it wasn't the red meat. Absolutely. But yes, as far as other foods, certainly um, there's good fats, such as those in olive oil or walnuts and other nuts and in avocados um, that are good.
0: Absolutely. Whole grains can help absorb some of that cholesterol, and they contain fiber, which is good for the GI tract as well. So whole Mm -hmm. grains would be um, unprocessed oatmeal or steel-cut oatmeal, quinoa, um, barley, buckwheat, right you can you can get these anywhere and cook them up and they're definitely a good good way mm-hmm. to start your day. So processed whole grains are a whole different ball game right. and they are available and advertised as healthy. These include things like cereals, crackers, all sorts of right. places where you can buy processed grains, processed wheat usually, and what does that do to the system?
1: I would say it it, it negates the positive effects of the whole grain. Yeah, because of the processing,
0: right? The processing somehow appears to trigger more of an inflammatory response, right. and um, actually leads to higher cardiovascular. cardiovascular disease, right? Higher risk of cardiovascular disease. So when you're when we're mentioning these foods, it's really the the best form to get the foods is the unprocessed. And sometimes right. this does require more preparation work at home, it does. but it can be done.
1: Certainly, lots of colorful fruits and vegetables. Should be a part of your healthy, balanced diet. Absolutely. Fruits, vegetables. What about legumes? We hear about these periodically. What are legumes and how are they beneficial or are they? Yes, this is what I like. There was one study I read and I should look up what the name of it was, but where they sent people home who'd had a heart attack in the hospital And one group was given the statin for their cholesterol and one group was not. They were told to have a plant-based diet. And the people on the plant-based diet had lower outcomes of heart attack or stroke than the people who got put on the statins. And they actually, when they looked at their arteries, they had regression of the plaques and the atherosclerosis so it actually improved or decreased the plaque burden just by following this This plant-based diet so if you were following a strict plant-based diet right you would get all your proteins from plants which are beans and legumes so um lentils chickpeas black beans kidney bean you know what else tofu yeah from soy yeah um so those would be plant-based proteins instead of meat-based proteins. Right, right. Yeah, and so if you can incorporate those into your
0: diet, even if you aren't ready to give up all of your meat, if you can incorporate a few meals a week where you just eat beans with your vegetables and fruit, you are definitely lowering your cardiovascular risk by doing yeah, that. If
1: you just start with a meatless Monday or, you know, try swapping out one one meal a week and then i think then you catch some momentum and you can do more you find out that it's it's not so bad it
0: doesn't have to be boring there are lots of great recipes out there if you're a pinterest person or just online you can find all sorts of um, flavorful meals that are meatless and that hopefully everybody in your family will enjoy and
1: we're from the the northern midwest where where this uh, red meat's a big deal i mean it's ingrained in the culture Um, And so it's difficult. It is. But it's possible. And um, a question I get often is people say, but what about venison? What are your thoughts on venison?
0: I think venison, so I'm assuming deer venison is what we're talking about here. I, I imagine it's a little healthier than beef because it's probably a little bit leaner, probably healthier than pork. Um, I don't think it's as healthy as what we consider true white meat. Right. And I think bison is kind of the, the same. same. We exactly. know that it's a little bit healthier than the other red meats, but yeah. it's not true white meat. Yeah. So if you want to have those as your red meat once in a while, that's probably okay. Um, but again, we know that red meat does contribute to heart disease and stroke risk.
1: And again, can't stress enough that study after study shows how this... Type of diet will impact not only your cardiovascular health, but your your mental uh, health and and lower your risk for um, dementias, or Alzheimer's disease, and things like also that. Also affects well.
0: cancer risk. If you're eating a right. more whole plant based diet, you're gonna have a lower cancer risk as well. So. Again, it's these are for some people it really requires a major change in mentality in your mindset and in your lifestyle. And again, if you think about the leaky faucet, so we have choices, right? We can either keep mopping up the floor every day and that means staying on that statin for the rest of your life or making the big change and turning off the faucet. And again, I don't I don't I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty associated with doing this, but I just want to know I want you to know that it can be done.
1: I think for my own family, we probably, we've really, in the last year, challenged ourselves to do this and have really reduced our red meat intake. And I don't know if I'd give us a 70-30, somehow in there. So you don't have to do it for good. You don't have to become vegan. You don't have to become vegetarian. Um, Although... There's probably a lot more benefit in that, but I think you benefit yourself in any little change that you can make.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think my one of my frustrations is the school lunches. Oh, yeah. I think that those still leave a lot to be desired right. for nutrition and have a long ways to go because I look at the menu and they're serving red meat two to three or four times yeah. a week. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. I think... Um, we're going to have to make that a platform yeah, of ours at exactly. time. <laughs> but because of that, I am really try to do better at home in terms of what we're feeding my family. And absolutely, we are not perfect. Um, but I feel, again, like Lindsay said, the more changes you can make, even if it's just one or two meals a week at first, you're making progress for your family. Right.
1: You go by kind of, I know we've seen um, this red, yellow, green right outline of foods absolutely can you quick give a rundown of that yeah
0: so this is this is a nice way to kind of think about the food that we eat so green foods are foods that we know are proven to be healthy and i would say should be eaten at least 80 percent of your 80% 80% of the time. So 80% of your calories should come from the green foods. And that go, includes whole grains, vegetables and fruits, legumes, nuts and seeds are pretty much the, the green foods. So 80% of your nutrition should come from those things.
1: And what's in the green or at the yellow The side? yellow
0: is foods that we should be cautious with. So not necessarily things that are bad, but things that the research is still out there on and that would be things like white meat and eggs and dairy they're not necessarily bad and for some things they're very good right dairy helps build bone but um in terms of
1: fish runs in that i believe it does too
0: yes thank you yeah um but again these foods so the the jury is still out on clear proven research that they're going to lower your cardiovascular risk overall I think that those foods still can be eaten 19% of the yeah. time. And then the 1% is the red foods. Right. And that would be the red meat, the processed meat, processed grains, things that have a lot of added sugar, high right. fructose. Mm-hmm. Um, those things would be the red foods that really should be minimized in our diet.
1: And I, if you really look into um, diets that have been studied, the Mediterranean diet, follows this i think pretty pretty well right so i always instruct people to look up the mediterranean diet
0: mediterranean is good blue zones is another mm-hmm. resource for patients mm-hmm. i think where they have looked at places in the world where people live long and tend to be healthy and the kinds of diet that those people follow and it does tend to be a plant-based diet right. the majority of the time actually in every blue zone i believe it's a plant-based diet that yep. the people are following mm-hmm. you yep. So, yeah, some good resources there. Let's talk about exercise. So the American Cardiology Association makes some pretty tough recommendations for exercise in terms of it's a pretty big time commitment to yeah, do what they, they want. Yeah, they just
1: came out with new recommendations. Right. So I thought this was great. What was 120 minutes 150 a week? 150, 150 minutes yep. a week. They yeah. recommend
0: exercising 150 minutes a week. And... I don't know if they gave specifics on what that includes from their perspective in terms of exercise, but what do you think of when you're telling your patients what to do for exercise? I think it's dedicated minutes to exercise. So you, like, parking far out in the parking lot and walking in, does that count? I
1: think that's good for you, and there's a lot of health benefits to doing that. But I don't think that can count towards your dedicated exercise minutes. And it probably doesn't lower your cardiovascular Absolutely. risk significantly anyway. Right. Right. But certainly always a good thing to do. And and people say, oh, but I'm active at work. Well... or Right, or active cleaning the home. Does that count as exercise? I don't think it does in this... Um, Recommendation. Right. So it's cer- certainly good for you. Yep. But doesn't get to count towards your 150 minutes. Right. That needs to be
0: dedicated exercise time. Right. A block of time actually set aside. And it doesn't have to be only one, it could be two blocks of right. time Can in a day, up? but it does need to be segments of time where you're exercising and your heart rate is depending on your age, but probably over 100 anyway, getting your mm-hmm. pulse up, getting your breathing up a little bit, then you know that's going to count as exercise. And it takes five minutes just to get into that state. Right. So you can't do just really short intervals or you're not going to see that benefit. Right. So, so what kind of exercise <laughs> do people need to be
1: doing? I think certainly a mixture, but for this purpose, um, for decreasing heart attack and stroke risk... Um, It needs to be aerobic exercise. So what does that mean? So aerobic exercise is exercise that promotes the circulation of oxygen through the blood and is associated with an increased heart rate and breathing rate. And typically, I think that if you do 220 minus your age and about 85% of that number, you would get your target heart rate. Now, if certain medications may affect that, so you'd want to talk to your doctor. But generally, that's a good um, target heart rate zone to reach for aerobic exercise. So, I mean, this can be walking, which I think is a great exercise. Um, Walking, biking, all the aerobics exercise classes at your gym. So Zumba is a popular one now. All those kinds of things get your heart rate up jogging, running, That's dancing, great. you can for a lot of types of dancing you probably get your heart rate up. So it can be any number of things, but
0: Yes, you mentioned several different types of exercise. And I generally will just advise people to find something that they enjoy doing, something that they feel like they can continue to do, because if you don't enjoy it, it's really hard to put in that time. And it doesn't have to be the same thing every day either, but it has to um, add up and really at least five days a week if you're going to get
1: those minutes. Yeah. Right. I, I I guess there's ra- basketball. I didn't mention sports. That's Absolutely. also a- I don't know if pickleball, if you move enough that you get your heart rate up, but right. I know that's a really popular thing. Um, yep. I'd have to watch people play that to see how, how vigorous right. it gets.
0: Absolutely. Things like soccer, where you're running mm-hmm. most of the game, basketball, like you mentioned, those sports will definitely count as exercise but too. But cheap,
1: easy way is walking. Absolutely. And it's not just a stroll, like I'm going down to the mailbox, um, but actually getting yourself moving. You can get there walking.
0: Absolutely. Arms swinging. Mm-hmm. Yep, moving as moving as fast as you can or pushing that limit anyway when you're walking. And if you if you're somebody who maybe is concerned about falls or doesn't um, feel like you have the balance or has other joint pains or things, there are still exercises you can do. So stationary bicycling is a great, Mm -hmm. safe exercise. Pool exercise is great. And there are um, pool aerobics. Yeah, exactly. Pool aerobics offered all over the Mm -hmm. place. So lots of other alternatives for getting that exercise. And in addition to just the cardiovascular benefits, it makes you feel good right it gives you energy it, it makes your body feel good it boosts the mood it,
1: yes it, it definitely helps with treatment of depression anxiety releases endorphins that help us definitely change our outlook on life yeah
0: so lots of good ways so again these are sometimes require some major changes but they do help turn off that faucet and so some people are burdened by you know family history of high cholesterol or familial hypercholesterolemia some people just have grown up with you know poorer lifestyle um, in terms of diet and exercise and so it may take a major change a major mind shift but if you really want to be able to get off the medications or um, avoid them in the first place then doing these things healthy diet and exercise to turn off the faucet will really help lower your chance of cardiovascular disease. There's
1: really nothing better and nothing matches it in in studies. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening today. (laughs) Yeah, please join us next time for um, a conversation about urinary tract infections. And if you have any uh,
0: questions or anything you want to look up, our website is everythingdoc.com
1: that's E-V-E-R-Y T-H-I-N-G D-O-C dot C-O-M we'd love to hear questions, comments um, we'll we'll air those but never with your name or any information that would be attributed to you but we can certainly ask, answer your questions and you can send us an email at mail at everythingdoc.com and you can look us up on Twitter or Facebook we look forward to hearing from you